Welcome to the Upper Room Community Church Podcast. Wherever you are in your journey, we hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit us at upperroom.ca. And today I will be reading scripture from Romans 7 verse 15 to Romans 8 verse 2. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not know For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself and my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free, free from the law of sin and death. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Upper Room. How are you? Good. My name is Dave, and I'm on staff here, and uh, we are looking at one of these questions today. Um, you know, one of these frequently asked questions, and, and it seems to me like for the first time in this series, this is actually one of the questions we ask frequently. You know, what is going on? What is wrong with the world? You know, as, as we heard already from Melissa and Tony, it, it's almost as if um, you can just take your pick, right, of things that are going on, depending on, you know, which news source you look at, depending on who you talk to, uh, you know, there's a, you can take your pick of things that are going on. We look at the world and we say, this, this can't be the way that it's supposed to be, right? Like, like what is going on? What is wrong with the world? And so maybe you look, you know, broadly at what's happening around the world and we see even this week, you know, like bombs being mailed to people, you know, people going on a rampage, um, shooting and stabbing. And like, and, and the thing about that is as jarring and as, as shocking as that is, um, it's like we just add it to the list of other events that have taken place that have been very similar to that. Right, we hear about political discontent, and I'm not even just talking about, you know, disagreeing with various political views. I'm talking about the extremes that people go because of what they believe, fighting for what they believe, that it, that should be the way it is. You know, coming towards the end of uh, hurricane season, and we just look, you know, at the Atlantic uh, hurricane season, the Pacific hurricane season, and we see that there are so many people in the path of devastation over and over and over again. So we look around and we say, what is wrong with the world? Like, is this all supposed to be happening? But maybe we don't need to look that far. We can look right to the people uh, that are close by us, you know? As it gets colder and colder outside and we're commuting into the city, all of a sudden we seem to be a little bit more aware of how big a problem homelessness actually is. Not as if it's more of a problem in the winter, but in the summer we just don't seem to notice it. But then when we have to get into our cars and we're cold, and then we see people that don't have a place to sleep or a meal to eat, we realize, whoa, this is a really big problem. 
You know, or perhaps this week you got a phone call from a loved one who tells you they're sick. And all of a sudden, the things you knew about a particular infection just are different because now it's not people out there. Now it's somebody you know. Now it's somebody you love. Now it's going to be part of your life walking with them through this. And then we can even look at our own selves, right? We can say, why are my relationships taking so much out of me? Why is it that I seem to give and give and give and I just don't get anything? Like what, what? I don't get how this seems like always a one-way street and it's not a two-way street. You know, maybe we say things like, I can't believe I said or did that stupid thing again in that meeting. I can't believe I said that thing to my spouse. I can't believe I did this. Like what is happening? I, I don't, that's not even how I want to be. But for some reason, that's what it is. Maybe, maybe we're saying, you know, why is it that it always seems to be a fight for my mental health to be balanced? Like, why is it that my perspective on the world always seems to be so blurry and like, I just can't think clearly. And so when we look around, we see, yeah, there's stuff happening in the world that's way out there and far away that we can't even, it seems like, what could we even do about that? Then there's stuff that's a little bit, you know, a little bit closer and it's like, well, I don't even, maybe there's some things I could do, but I don't really know where to start. And then actually we look at ourselves and we say, well, I, I'm not just the recipient of things that are wrong with the world, but I'm actually a contributor to some of what's wrong with the world. There's a famous uh, story that's told about a writer named G.K. Chesterton. He passed away sometime in the 1930s, but a well-known uh, writer. <clears throat> and um, at one point in, during his career, uh, the Times sent out a question to a number of writers all over the place, asking the question, what is wrong with the world today? And G.K. Chesterton was known for like his short, like his sense of humor and like these short like proverbs and like these little quips and witty sayings. And so uh, in response to this question, what is wrong with the world? He writes back, dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. He's, he's known for being a writer and yet all he could say is me. I'm what's wrong with the world. And like, isn't that just one of the most honest answers. And I think there are lots of ways that people explain what's going on around the world, right? People are, we look at it and we try to make sense of it. And there's so many different things that we, we can believe in. You know, one, one line of thinking as well, if, if we were just nicer people, if we were just more kind, if we were just more polite, uh, if, we, if we actually um, tried to be at peace with people, well, then that would actually take care of things. So the problem with the world then is selfishness. The problem of what's wrong in the world is pride, it's greed. These are the things that are wrong with the world. You know, some would say that what is, um, what's wrong with the world is actually all of the evil, all the badness, all of the death that we see in the world. That's actually uh, the consequences uh, for uh, a world that has chosen uh, to go against God, right? And so, so all the things that we see, this is actually God's way of judging the world, people who live in places where, you know, they're more affected by natural disasters. Well, there must be something going on in that area and this is God's way of taking care of them. 
you know? They're just getting what they deserve. And so when we look at that, but not necessarily knowing how it's all working out, we say, well, that has to be the explanation. Some could say, you know, it's, it's something like karma working itself out. You know, what's wrong with the world is that you've got people that are trapped in this cycle of, of death and reincarnation and they continually are living out um, the punishment for the sin, for the wrongdoing that they committed in their former life. And so the reason that things are broken, the reason that things are, are evil and, and complex in the way that they are is because there's just this ongoing cycle. And I mean, what, what could we expect, right? Others could say something like, well, the, the issue, what's wrong with the world is, is a lack of human progress. You know, if we were just more educated, if we were less ignorant, if we were less ethnocentric, if we were more interested in the needs of other people and were educated about what is good and what is bad, well, that would be. The, so the problem with the world is that we're too simple-minded. The problem with the world is that we're all too much about ourselves. And you know, religious people have a lot of things to say about what's wrong with the world as well. If I could sum it up really simply, I would say that uh, when it comes to this idea of religion, you know, so Judaism, for example, a a religion that is so uh, formed around adherence to the law to the point where it's less important what you believe, that's important, I don't want to diminish that, but what you do is far more important than even exactly what you believe. So orthopraxy, uh, what you do with what you believe is more important than what you, what you believe, right? Um, would say, well, you know, the problem is that people uh, don't follow the law of God. And God is actually, um, God is actually uh, putting out judgment on people that don't follow him. The same thing could be said for Islam. You know, what's wrong with the world is people don't honor the five pillars. What, what would be the solution would be if we just all worshiped Allah, if we all just followed the Islamic way, then we'd all be at peace with each other and the evil would go away. This is true too within the Christian religion, right? If we kept the commandments, if we all did exactly what God said to do, if we did the right thing, well, what's wrong, we would say, is that people, people don't fear God. And there's something about all of these explanations where there's almost like a little bit in each one where we want to say, well, I think it's a little bit of that and maybe a little bit of this and, and a little, and, and, and that's like, if that's how you're thinking, like that, what we need to do is try and find some clarity in the midst of all that. But, but one issue I see with that right off the bat is that when we do look around the world, we see that the complexity and the brokenness, the death, the decay, all of the problems are way more complex are way more significant or way bigger than any one of those things. And, and when it comes to finding a solution to what's wrong with the world, um, it makes me ask this question, is simply being good enough to change things? Is, is simply trying to be a better person enough to, to get the world back to a place of balance or to get it back maybe to the way it should be? And, and if that's what the belief is, if that's what your belief is, then um, you're like sitting under a crushing weight. And I know that because that's how I feel. If it's up to me to be a good person and that's going to make a, an impact in terms of transforming and changing the world and getting it back to some type of equilibrium, I, I can't handle that. Like that, that crushes me. I, I can't do the good that I want to do. I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm prone to doubt. I know that I'm prone to wander. I know that I'm, I'm prone to contr- be a contributor to a lot of the issues around me. Like, so that, I can't even handle that. And, and again, as I look beyond, as we look beyond our own lives and we see the things that are going on, we're just like, I, I don't actually see how doing good instead of bad is really going to solve the problem. And you know, I, one thing that scripture does 
um, is, is it's, it's helpful in that it often gives us a very raw human perspective on life. And actually what Camille read for us uh, a few moments ago from Romans chapter 7 is one of these uh, passages in scripture that is just so real. There's something in it that's so relatable because as we look and say, well, okay, there's all these things going on out there, but like, okay, if we're just going to start with me and then right, the writer says, I do not understand what I do. Amen. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. He continues later, he says, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, well, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who does it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. Like, can't you just relate to that? If you're just being honest, right? And, and what I love about it is it's almost like the, the Apostle Paul who wrote this is having this conversation with himself, right? He's like, well, on the one hand, I, I want to do good. And I even know some of what's good, right? I know God's law. He would say, I, I know some of what's good and this is what I really want to do, but, but I end up doing this. And, and, and I know that when I'm doing these things, these aren't the things I actually want to do. Like, it's not that I'm doing them and I'm ignorant to it. I actually know that's not what I want to do. But then as I go about living my life, I just find myself doing those things more than doing these things. And, and it's relatable. It just feels like, yeah, okay. I mean, once you get over the little bit of a tongue twister of a passage that that is, you know, um, you can find yourself saying, well, I, I actually, you know, when you're having those conversations with yourself and your commute or in the shower or whatever, you have, you know, 10 minutes to think to yourself. It's like, well, and, well yeah, but I, well, I could, but uh, I, I kind of see it as he's working it out that way. And so, again, when we look out to the world, we see how broken it is. We see how complicated it is. Um, and we say, well, what can I do? And we don't know where to start. We actually have the answer right here in scripture. That's because we have the desire to do good. But, but we don't actually know how to carry it out. And we keep on doing the opposite of what we really do, which, which before we can actually begin to think about how do I solve the problem that's out there, or can we contribute to solving the problem that's out there? Before we do that, we actually have to stop and say, well, what's the problem in here? What's the problem inside of me? And so as Paul is asking this question, he is saying, you know, what is going on? What's going on within me? And we're asking today, what's, what's wrong with the world? He actually gives us a clue in verse 20. He says, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. Which we can't just skip over that and move on. We actually have to know, well, what is he talking about when he talks about sin? What is sin? Is sin something as simple as doing the wrong thing, right? Does, when we get to the bottom of what sin is, does it really reduce, does it really boil down to simply moral behavior, right? Doing the right thing instead of doing the wrong thing. Is it, is it simply adherence to a law? Do this, don't do that, and, and therefore sin will no longer have any power in your life. If, if that's how we think, um, that's a very small view of the influence or the impact of what sin has actually had on the world. And so what we have to do to see what sin is, is we actually have to go back to where it came from, which brings us back to the creation narrative. And a few weeks ago, we asked the question, uh, how did we get here? And we kind of worked through that a little bit. Uh, but, but one of the things we see as we go back to Genesis chapter one and two, right at the beginning of the story of scripture, right at the beginning, it's setting the scene, it's setting the pace, setting the tone for what all of the Bible is going to tell us. As we go back there, one of the things 
things that we see right from the beginning is that God is there and he's creating. And as he's creating, he regularly says it is good. He creates the light and he says it is good. He creates the land and he says that it is good. He creates vegetation, he says it's good. Animals that walk and animals that fly and animals that swim, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he creates Adam and Eve. He creates humans and he says it's very good. And actually, once he creates Adam and Eve, which is kind of sent, this is the, um, in a sense, the, the, the completion. This is the completion of, of all that he creates, right? Once he's done that, he says a blessing over all that he has created, especially over Adam and Eve. And he says, God saw that it, all that he had made, he said it was very good. And he says, you are blessed. Go and subdue the land, like use the land, uh, you know, to be fed by the trees and be fed by the vegetation and enjoy relational uh, relationship with each other. Enjoy sexual intimacy with each other have kids multiply go be blessed it's very very good and so we see right from the beginning humans were good humans were made good but but what does good actually mean right everything is good it seems like that's how we talk about it you know how, how is that re- that new restaurant as ah, good right you know how was uh you know how'd you do at, how was your day at school today that's good what is that actually, what is that actually, like, what are we talking about, right? What, what does the word good actually mean? In the most broad or general way of thinking about it, good is a, is a really simple way of approving of something, right? And, and, and so the thing with goodness is that we can actually look at it a few different ways. So for example, one thing that we could say, let's say I had a hammer with me, okay? I could say, this is a good hammer. And what I would mean by this hammer is this is a good hammer in that it is strong, it's sturdy, it's reliable, it does what it was made to do, it's always around when I need it. This, this is a good hammer, right? And so in that sense, when when God said it was good over all of creation, he was saying creation is good like this hammer in that creation was doing exactly what it was made to do. It had been created for a purpose and for a time it lived out, it did exactly what it was meant to do. All creation was good and that it functioned exactly the way God had made it, the way that God had designed it to function. The same thing was true for Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve, God says, uh, this is very good. And so they were good in that they lived out their created order. They lived in perfect harmony with God, their creator. They lived in perfect relationship with each other in their marriage. And they actually lived out their purpose in their responsibility of taking care of the earth. Right before, uh, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but eventually work becomes a negative thing. But in the created order, work was actually a very good thing. It was a blessing to go and to be responsible and to do that kind of thing. And so one thing though we have to be, we have to note is that the goodness that's associated to Adam and Eve as humanity, one thing that separates humanity from, uh, you know, animals and the rest of the created world is that there's a difference there. It's not just that they lived out their good and perfect purpose and what they were made to do, but they were also morally and ethically good. Not only did they do the things that um, they were supposed to do or that they were created to do, but everything that they did was actually done with the exact right mindset. They never made a bad decision. They never made a wrong decision. So for a period of time, humans were good. And you could even say humans only knew good. That's all they knew. We say, how is that possible? Right, well, this is what is possible when you live in perfect relationship, in perfect harmony with your creator, with God. There's one theologian, his name is John Frame, and he puts it this way. He says, if you or I were living in uninterrupted fellowship with God, as were Adam and Eve in the garden, every moment of our experience would be dominated by God. We would constantly be seeking to please him. 
And so all Adam and Eve knew was worship. That's, that's all they knew. God, how can we do exactly what you've made us to do? How can we honor you? How can we serve you? But we know that this didn't last, right? That this design was broken. Why? What happened? Well, because Adam and Eve chose to take things into their own hands and they chose to trust themselves and their own ability to make decisions more than God. Right? So we're told in Genesis chapter 2, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Right? So go, live, eat whatever you see that is good for food, but there's one, there's one restriction. Trust me that everything else I've given you is enough. You don't need to eat from this tree. Trust me. And so they go and eventually Eve finds herself in the garden and, and she's deceived by the enemy and, and she, see, she looks at the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and she says, well, it looks like it's good for food and, and it actually, it says that it's desirable for gaining wisdom. So it's more than just getting physical, uh, you know, nourishment. It actually made me give me some, some spiritual or mental nourishment as well and she eats some and she gives some to her husband, Adam. And, and what happens is that they choose to go against God. They choose to step outside of the created order they choose to not do what they were made to do, which is trust God in everything and find every way they can serve him and instead trust themselves more than him and serve them their own needs over what he had said was right. And again, it's a mistake to reduce this down to simply saying, well, they made a bad choice. They did the wrong thing instead of doing the right thing because that's, that's not just it. Yes, that's how it played out. But underneath all of this is a trust issue. Again, God had said, you're going to have everything you need in me, in each other, in the creation that I'm putting you over, you have everything you need. And basically, you know, without words, they said, well, God, we don't trust you. Not on this one anyways. We want more. We think there could be more. So at this point, this is what we would refer to as when sin entered into the world. Okay, the word sin itself doesn't actually show up until Genesis chapter 4, which is actually part of the consequence of this fall, the fall of humanity, which took place right here. So in Genesis chapter 4, Adam and Eve were fruitful. They did multiply. They had two kids, and, and one of those sons killed the other son, murders him, and that's where sin gets used for the first time. Right, why? Because as the result of the fall of humanity, as the result of this sin into the world, death now comes into the world. Where life was meant to be abundant and never ending, now death enters in. We also see, I mean, the very first thing we see is that shame entered in. The first thing that Adam and Eve realized after they, they, they chose to distrust God is they realized that they were naked. For a while, they were naked in paradise. And it's the, it said that they were naked and they felt no shame. But then all of a sudden, why are you naked? Why am I naked? And they run and they, they hide themselves and they create clothing out of fig leaves and they cover themselves up, right? Because shame entered into the world. Relational harmony is broken, right? Relational harmony is broken between Adam and Eve. We see that relational harmony is broken, most importantly, between God and humanity. And this impact is widespread. This is why all of the relationships that we're in right now, uh, you know, will, even when things are going really well, we know that there's going to be something that's probably going to happen eventually. Whether I do it or it happens to me, there's something there because this impacts all of creation. Death, like I mentioned, becomes a reality. People and things that were meant to live forever now will inevitably face death. And, and nothing does anymore what it was actually created to do. Nothing naturally does what it was created to do. 
You know, the New Testament puts it this way. It says that the wages of sin is death. This is actually in Romans chapter six, just a little bit before uh, what our main text is for today. And he says the wages of sin is death. Basically what he's saying is the consequence for sin, the price for sin, if you're gonna sin, what you're saying is you're choosing death. Why? Because God is the giver of life and the sustainer of life and a choice to go against him is a choice to choose the opposite of life, which is death. And so this comes in and this death is widespread and it's like a infection with absolutely fatal, absolutely lethal, lethal consequences. Not only does it separate humans from God, not only does it separate humans from humans, but even the world itself, the physical earth, the ground, the storm systems, all of that is the result of an earth not functioning the way it was meant to. It itself is decaying. It itself is experiencing the results of this infection. It itself is rebelling from the way that it was meant to be. Things are not the way that they were meant to be anymore. And so when we get that picture, that understanding of where it came from, it actually makes more sense of what the Apostle Paul is saying. You know, what is wrong with the world? The problem in the world is sin and the, its power in the world and in me. That's what's wrong with the world, which makes it a much bigger issue than simply doing right or wrong. So, so get this, right? So the Apostle Paul, before he converted and became a follower of Jesus, he was a, he was a Jew. But he wasn't just a regular Jew. He was, he was what was known as a Pharisee. Pharisees were these highly regarded uh, teachers of the law. They were influential people. And, and one of the reasons they got to this status of being so influential and so uh, highly regarded was because uh, they were the very small percentage of Jews that were able to uh, keep every single one of the Jewish laws. So most simply, we could say not only were they able to keep the Ten Commandments, but they were able to keep 613 laws that come into the most, like if you, when you go and read through those in the early parts of Scripture, the most detailed, like there's so many little areas of life that are covered. And these Pharisees were somehow able to do that. And so Paul, now following Jesus, is saying, I actually was, as far as the world was concerned, a good person. I was literally a good person because I actually kept up all of the laws that God had put before us. And even still, when I was doing all of those things right, knowing what was good, there was still something going on that was causing me to, I still felt this inward battle, this inward tension. He still experienced the power of sin inside of him. And so the power of sin that's in us and that's in the world, this thing that tries to and, and, and succeeds at pulling us away from God and doing what we want to do um, is why we know that simply doing what is right instead of doing what is wrong is not going to be enough to bring balance to the universe, right? So you can say the exact right thing. You can be perfectly submitted and a perfect servant uh, to your spouse or to somebody you're in a relationship with and they could still leave you. You, you could be a perfect worker ethically upright, never making a bad deal, never making a bad decision, you can still get let go, right? Like that's, we say, why do bad things happen to good people? And I mean, maybe now we actually have some context to realize that's not even a great question to ask, right? Um, you can do everything right, and yet you can't control the actions of what other people are gonna do back to you, right? So it's not like putting something good out there means that something good is necessarily going to come back. A lot of us trying to do what is right often still experience things that we would say are very, very bad. And that only talks, that only, that's only um, 
That's only as it relates to relational brokenness. The power and the effects of sin in terms of our relationships with one another and with God. That doesn't even account for the physical earth being broken and experiencing death as well. And I think one of the things that the Apostle Paul is highlighting here is that um, even if you could do good for a while, which he did, even if, but even now for us, if we could do good for a while, like how long can we, can we keep it up for? Right? And, and sometimes even doing what is quote unquote good can actually lead us to doing things that are bad. So again, using Paul as the example, he was a Pharisee. He kept all of these laws. He was looked uh, highly regarded. People look up to him. And, and as he did these things, um, he eventually, his, his Jewish, Jewish faith uh, eventually led him to prosecute and arrest and actually participate and condone the murder of people who didn't agree with his faith which we would look and we say, well, no, that's when religion goes too far, right? That's when a set of rules goes too far, when it actually justifies you in doing those things, which inside of us we know is evil, taking away life, especially since we go all the way back to the fall of humanity and we realize that death was never supposed to be here in the first place. And so there's a sense that religious laws are not the answer to fixing the world. Right again, we can look at karma and we can say, well, everything is working itself out. Humans are being judged. They're facing the justice for their behavior uh, in their past life. And yeah, like this might make some sense of uh, human problems, but it doesn't explain or doesn't give account for like natural disasters, you know, which again is Earth's way of experiencing the, the, the consequences of sin. Um, the natural world, plants, water, trees, all that stuff, animals, like this was, uh, the vegetation rather, was all created uh, to serve humanity. And yet, as a result of the fall, now it, it strikes back, right? And we're almost at war with the physical earth, in a sense. So karma doesn't really explain that. Um, human progress being the answer doesn't actually explain it either, right? You know, all we need is more education. All we need is to become smarter. All we need is more innovation. Uh, we need more science. We need more, and like, don't get me wrong. I love stuff like this. I love reading about all of the things that they're discovering. I've been following along with Tesla and it's amazing how it's not just cars, what they're trying to do in terms of, uh, you know, reducing the world's carbon footprint. Stuff like that actually is really amazing. And I don't get how any of it works, but, and, and human progress, you know, throughout the mid 1900s was the driving force of the world. Look at how incredible we can be until World War II took place and somewhere between 50 and 80 million people were wiped off the face of the earth in a matter of six years. That's when all of a sudden we realize as good as human progress is, when it's in the hands of evil people, when it's used wrong, look at how devastating and how destructive it can be. You know, Stephen Hawking, um, one of the things he, he's known for uh, writing about and speaking about is, uh, is saying that where the, where the state of planet Earth is right now is so terrible, is so broken, is so, uh, you know, we can't reverse all that we've done wrong to the planet. The only hope we have is to figure out how to civilize Mars and, and, move, and move there. And I, again, I am not smarter than Stephen Hawking. I don't get how any of this stuff works, okay? But I see one problem with that, at least. And that is, if your idea is to transplant human beings from this planet to that planet, aren't you very likely going to do the exact same thing to that planet? Because again, we're coming back to, there's actually this human problem that goes from place to place. And that's the common denominator that's at play, right? Sin doesn't just affect who we are. It's not just because we did wrong instead of doing right. Sin is this power that has broken everything from functioning the way it was meant to function. And so what's wrong with the world? Sin is what's wrong with the world. 
sin is what's wrong in the world and with the world. And, and like knowing this can seem kind of heavy, right? It can seem kind of like hopeless. Like where do we go from here? You know, I don't even know what my next step should be. But the thing about getting um, bad news like this is that with the right perspective, you can actually view it not as hopeless bad news, as in everybody fend for yourself, but you can actually look at it as a diagnosis. And you can say, well, we actually know what the problem is, which means we can actually begin looking for what the right solution is. And the right solution to this diagnosis is not as simple as doing the right thing instead of the wrong thing. Uh, one of the ways that Paul describes himself, uh, this feeling that he has is he calls himself wretched, right? He says, wretched man that I am. Like, I'm so miserable. I, I feel shameful. I feel buried in guilt. I feel confused. Hey, I, he might even say something like, I feel worthless. Like, I don't even know what I can do. And then he says, who, who will rescue me from this body of death? Who will rescue me from the sin inside of me? Who will rescue this world from the decay, from the death that it experiences? Who? Then he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. When we have the diagnosis to what the problem is and when we say that even myself, I can't even contribute to the solution, it means we have to look outside of ourselves. So where do we look? We look to someone who came from another world, from God to earth. And Jesus comes here to live among us, to live like us, but to never be infected. He never gets impacted by the, the power struggle, by the evil. He's never influenced by any of that. Instead, he actually influences people to change their way of thinking, to turn back from the way that they had been living to follow him. He brings light into the dark world. The world had become so dark that it had no hope. And so Jesus comes in and look at that beautiful analogy, right? Like if we turned off all of the lights in here and then we just had one little candle and we gave it a few minutes for our eyes to adjust, even that little match or that little candle would illuminate in a significant way where we'd be able to say, whoa, something's happening over there. And as his light spread into the darkness, he, he exposed the things that were truly evil and he shed light on and gave hope to the places where it was needed most. Jesus brought healing into the decay, right? And we see the ways that he interacts with people as we read through uh, the eyewitness accounts and that he healed people who were physically sick. He restored them back to what? To the way they were actually meant to be, whole people. He brings peace into the brokenness. He reverses the curse of death and he sets us free. And I know right now, I'm just boom, 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 boom. Because my question is not how does this all get better? My question is what's wrong? VJ's question next week is how does this all get better? Spoiler alert, it's Jesus. <laughs> right? That doesn't mean you can't come. It means you actually should definitely be here next week to, to get a more fuller, more broader understanding of, well, how does this actually happen? How does this actually play out, you know? And so where do we go from here? Knowing we've got this diagnosis, knowing that, you know, things are complicated, it's even with inside me, where do we go from here? Well, first step, like I said, come back next week. But the second thing I'd say is trust in Jesus. Trust in him. Say, okay, I get it. There is something inside me that I don't understand. I don't know why I'm doing this instead of that when I really want to be doing this and that we, I don't, I don't understand. To confess that, say, I, I know that that feeling is real. I know that that experience is real and then trust in Jesus. And maybe you're here and you're kind of on this journey towards discovering who, who Jesus is. And man, are we ever glad that you're here. We hope that you won't leave without having that conversation with somebody. 
come up to the welcome table afterwards. There's going to be a prayer team around or anybody that's been up on the worship team or lots of other people, anyone who greeted you today and just say, hey, what, is it, what does it mean to trust in Jesus? Because I, I can't trust in myself anymore. What does it mean to trust in Jesus? And you know what? If you're here and you have been walking with Jesus, you have been following Jesus, you, you need to ask that same question of yourself too. Where have I actually just been trying to make right of all the world's problems without relying on, on him. I, I would encourage you to pray for perspective. You know, to pray and say, God, um, give me hope and give me faith in this broken and death-sentenced world. Like, I don't even know where to go. God, give me hope. And maybe you need to, in your home groups, you need to share stories and encourage each other of the different things that God is doing because we can forget that his promise is true sometimes. And yet when we remind ourselves of the things he's done in our own lives, when other people share what he's done in their lives, then there's this sense of like, oh yes, it is true. He does keep his promises. I, I would encourage you to have the conversation. This, this series is not just about learning more things. It's not just about getting a couple new ideas, some new perspective or anything like that. It's actually uh, meant to equip each one of us to be able to engage in these conversations with other people. And so really, Practically, you know, as you're hanging out with people this week, uh, you can just say like, what, what do you think is wrong with the world? Why do you think the world is the way that it is? As you recap what happened in terms of the news, in the news around the world, you know, um, wow, what is going on? What do you think is going on? Give people a moment to talk that through. And we're not being critical. We're not condemning them. We're not going to jump in with like some type of sales pitch. We're trying to have a conversation which is two-way, which is gracious, remembering that there are times in our own life where we don't think clearly either. So if somebody says something, you're like, well, that can't be it. Well, just don't, don't, don't react that way. Be calm. Just be like, oh, that's an interesting way of looking at it, which, which leads to this next thing. One, one helpful um, phrase that you could use um, is something like, well, that actually reminds me of something that Jesus taught. Or, you know, that reminds me of something that I read in, in the Bible this week, or it reminds me of a story I read or heard recently. So you're having this conversation, what do you think is wrong with the world? Somebody shares their perspective, you're, you're bantering back and forth, and then you get to this point where you say, yeah, you know what, this actually reminds me of this, this situation where Jesus came in and, and said this. And so I think there's a really actually practical, tangible, like these are A, B, C, D. It's not a perfect formula, but these are the steps you can do, you can take to find yourself in a conversation. What that requires um, is that you yourself are finding time to read scripture, to be in a group, to pray on your own and to pray with other people, to, to meditate over it, to reflect on it, to study uh, the word of God. And, and, um, and this is actually one of the ways we remind ourselves of the hope that Jesus offers is by reading about the hope that God offers us, right? Um, and so uh, one way that we actually as a church want to help all of us kind of increase our biblical literacy and increase our understanding of what the Bible actually is, is we're going to be offering these word of life, or excuse me, book of life um, workshops uh, a couple of weekends over the next number of months where uh, we're going to go deep into the story of scripture to kind of look at what are the major themes, the major plot lines, how do we develop a habit uh, of reading it on our own and, and developing a, a practice of, of, of reading it through on our own. And there'll be more information on that later on. You can grab a, a brochure over at the Welcome table. Um, and then as you're having these conversations, you know, what do you think is wrong? Well, it reminds me of a story that I heard. And as the conversation keeps going, if you are a follower of Jesus, then the next thing, the next step for you to take is to say, can I pray for you about this? And like to not just say, can I pray for you? And then go away, not praying, but to say, can I pray for you about this right now? And you can just be kind. If the person is like, I mean, more often than not, they say yes. 
right? And they'll even ask, the people I've asked this question to, they'll even say like, right, do I have to close my eyes? And I say, you can do whatever you want. You just you should stay here um, at the very least. You know, it's like, can I pray for you? And sometimes they close their eyes and sometimes they're looking around and sometimes I don't even close my eyes because I don't want to freak them out, right? And you just pray. 10 seconds, 15 seconds, you know? You're not calling down tongues of fire. You're not doing anything like that. You're just saying, God, this is where this person is. And, and you know, I've got these honest questions myself and, you know, help us to find hope in you and then lead them towards Jesus. Show them that Jesus is really the answer. What is wrong with the world? Sin and its power, but it's not hopeless. It is not hopeless. Because thanks be to God who delivers us through his son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and I'm going to pray. Father in heaven, it can seem so dire. It can seem so hopeless. It can seem like a constant onslaught. Just as soon as we get over one thing, the next thing tries to take us out. And that's the result of a world that has chosen to go against you. To not trust you that you are enough but to say we know one better. So Jesus, I pray that each one of us would see that on our own, we can't solve any of these problems. It's not about doing what's right instead of what's wrong, though of course, of course we should strive to do what is right. It's not just about being morally upright instead of being morally, you know, uh, belligerent, but of course we should try, strive to do what's morally upright. You know, it's just not right about ethics. It's not, it's not as simple as any of that. Though, of course, Jesus, you actually show us the way to live a righteous life, a right life. We know we can't keep that up forever. But when we look to you, Jesus, we see that you came and you did keep it up forever. You did live the perfect life. You lived the way we were all supposed to live. And so when we trust in you, you give us your goodness. You give us our life. You take our badness. You take our evil. You take our death. And you give us the gift of life. The gift of hope. You rescue us from all of this. So Jesus, we trust you. We look to you for, for rescue and for hope and for answers. And Father, anyone in this room, wherever they're at in this journey of life, God, I pray that we would all see Yes, Jesus is the answer. And we don't need to live in fear. We don't need to live with anxiety. But we can persevere knowing that one day you are going to come and make all of this right. You've already started that as the kingdom is coming, but one day it will be final where you will make everything right, putting it all back the way it was meant to be. I look forward to that day, Jesus. And so we pray, or rather we, well, we pray, but we, we honor you, God, by singing to you and saying that our hope is built in nothing other than you. We don't find trust or assurance or peace anywhere else other than in you, Jesus. So church, let's sing together. Amen.